Good morning. Hey, we're going to jump into the scriptures earlier than usual this morning because we have an opportunity to hear this morning a number of folks share how they ended up finding relationship with God through Christ Jesus and then are going to be baptized. So it's going to be a great morning of sharing in the celebration of baptism. But before we open the scriptures, how many of you were here back in April when we gave out money in the service? Didn't collect it, we gave it out. All right, so do you still have it or have you used it? Oh, yeah, I hope so. If you're like, I have no idea, I missed church and you gave out money? Uh, yes, we gave $20 to every person who came that morning for this purpose. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we wanted to apply that literally, to love our literal neighbors. So we gave everybody a $20 bill and said, ask how you can use this for the sake of cultivating relationship with your literal neighbors. And, and we've had lots of replies with the $20 was this postcard that we said, let us know how you used it. And so uh, here's one of my favorite thus far. It, it starts out, woohoo! Well, I, I, that's the way I interpreted it. Um, <clears throat> But you know it's going to be good when it starts there. Here's what they said. Finally used our $40, so a, a couple. We have lived, watch this, in this neighborhood for 21 years, have an only said an occasional hello to the neighbors across the street. Last night, we had them over for dinner and had a wonderful evening getting to know each other. Thanks for the challenge. It turns out it wasn't so difficult or scary after all. Now, I love this one specifically because uh, actually these folks come on Thursday night and they literally showed up in my driveway Friday morning trying to give me the money back because they're like, we don't want to do this. And I said, no, you can't give it to me. How about we go to Westminster and give it to a widow? And I said, possible that there's a widow that lives on your street? They were like, yes, probably. Just were so reluctant. I kept going, it's really going to be okay. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, they could go, no. And I'll even add attitude to it, no. But they didn't. And uh, I was so encouraged because this. This is a triple win. Neighbors were blessed, right? Neighbors were blessed. They got to be an instrument of God, of being a blessing. And the best is this. They found out by their own experience, not through a sermon, but by their own experience, the Lord gives us what we need to do what he calls us to do. And so they experienced the Lord in a personal way. So if you're like, oh, I'm a little scared, I get it. There's lots of people who are a little scared. And it was a great moment in staff this week because Matt Collins, who just led us in worship over here in South, shared that they did theirs over Memorial Day weekend and he realized the hardest part was going around the neighborhood and inviting. Until he realized by their reaction to him, the invite is a blessing. Not, not just the dinner, just the number of people who said, wow, that's really kind. Thank you for including us. We can't come, but that's really kind. So I want to encourage you that we would simply continue to go, this doesn't have to be exotic, doesn't have to be really complicated. Love God, 
love our literal neighbors. Bless them. Begin with prayer. Listen, eat, serve, and share our stories and share his story. So very, very grateful for that. About uh, two years ago, we started doing Sundays on Thursdays. It was the first of our Sunday services on Thursday night for folks who were out of town or actually have to work regularly. We wanted to provide a Thursday service. So we've been doing that. And we want to remind you, especially as we go into summer, that we always have our Thursday service. But we've added Sundays on Thursdays to a different degree. Beginning this week, we're going to do a summer style and we're going to do Sundays. Uh huh, you got that? So we went through the whole service. I'm talking to my wife yesterday, and she was like, I, I don't get it. Sunday's on Thursday. I was like, babe, A-E. Oh, now I get it. So before the service and again after the service, we'll simply have an ice cream bar set up because one of the things, if you've never been to Thursday, is people are like, this is what I really love about a smaller community. So if you enjoy some ice cream, I know I do, we'll have it before or after, or both. You can take both, coach, um, and enjoy. And, and then it's the same service, same music, same message. Well, it's the first run through the message, so it's the warm-up. Um, but it's a great time together. So I invite you to come. And remember, as you travel this summer, you don't just have to listen online, because that's what people say. I'll just listen online. Come and experience, because COVID taught us anything. There's one thing to watch online, which is a great option if there is no other, but if live is better, yes? Yeah, yeah, live is better. And mask-free is especially, especially better. (laughs) All right, Jesus got a clap, and so did no mask. All right, so um, this morning, turn to... Ephesians chapter 2, we are in this series called Made Alive, and what a great series, and we're going to look at two verses this morning that, in my estimation anyway, if you had to pick two verses the entire Bible to capture what the Bible's about, it'd be these two verses actually, because Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, which are the ones we're going to look at this morning, Distinguish what sets apart Christianity from every other religion on the planet. It's captured in these two verses. So uh, I'm going to try to show them to you in a way that will genuinely capture how significant the truth of the gospel is of Jesus Christ. So if you were to open your Bible, you would discover the Bible begins with what? In the beginning, God. The Bible begins with God, who then it tells us created everything in the heavens and the earth and everything that fills them, including his creation of you and I, mankind, that God would have a relationship with us. We were created by God, for God, one with God, and to be under God, that we would love him as our creator. We would have a perfect relationship with him. That's how it all began. But we don't get until the third, by the third chapter of the Bible, uh, we discover that man is not interested in living under God, for God, and by God. They want to go their own way, do their own thing, And so they 
what the Bible calls sin. Simply means this, sin is missing the mark. They miss the mark of why they were created, to love God and to be in relationship with him. And what the scripture reveals is this perfect relationship is then broken, and sin creates the divide between you and I and God. But God created us for relationship with him. And so the rest of the Old Testament is actually the laying of the groundwork and the paving of the way whereby God would reach out to us in love through his son, Jesus. God became man and human flesh, and Jesus gave himself to live a sinless life and die a substitutionary death for sin on our behalf. It's as if you can imagine, maybe you've seen the famous art piece of God reaching out to man. And in response to God reaching out to us, we reach back out to God. We reach out to him by obeying him in baptism, by confessing our sins, by beginning to do what God would do. We would say, what would Jesus do? And let's do that. And let's do good works. And that we would reflect the purity of God in moral living. And so as God reaches out to us, we reach out to him, that we might be restored to relationship with God as he intended. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. That's a critical question. Does it make sense? Yes, it makes sense. But if you're open to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, read it with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So when we take what makes sense to us, and this is what makes sense not only to us, but to really everybody in the world, that God would reach out to us, and in response to him reaching out to us, we would reach out to him. And if we will reach out to him as he's reached out to us, we'll be restored. Except, according to what we read, is this right? No, this is not right. In fact, Thursday night, I just was telling them what I told you. And my wife's right over here. And I can see her face like. (laughs) And the longer I go, the more she's like. And she told me afterwards, Doug, I was like, why is he saying that? That's not true. It seems right. It's not true. But I demonstrate it this way because years ago at a conversation, and this is not an offense towards them, I had a conversation with a gentleman who'd grown up Catholic. And he said, I just don't understand what's the big deal between the difference between a Protestant and a Catholic. And he said, ultimately, does this make sense to you? Drew this out just like this. And he said, 
That does make sense to me. So is this consistent with what you've been taught? Yeah, that's consistent with what I've been taught. Took my Bible and said, do you read this for me? And I've done this with lots of folks. You did this for me? Yeah. They read it out loud. And they went, wow. And then simply ask them. So having read what the Bible says and what you have thought and what you have been taught, what do you think? What do you think? It's wrong. It's not what the Bible says. What's the scripture say? It says, Jesus is not short-armed. It's not Jesus, what Jesus has done, plus what I do. It's Jesus. And this is why I think these two verses are the, if I had to choose, the most important Two important verses in the entire scripture is because it identifies that relationship with God is not a matter of what I do. It is a matter of what has been done for me by whom? By Jesus and Jesus alone. Some of you Maybe thinking, oh, okay, now I'm wrestling a little bit because I did grow up thinking that this is what seemed right. And you're going, oh, uh, that is dramatically different. In fact, in that first conversation, the first time I've ever did what I would simply call the short-arm Jesus, the man said to me two things, wow. That helps me understand. I never knew the difference before. Now I get it. And then I said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works. See, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is going to clarify, and this is what we need in our present day, gospel clarity. As a church, we are committed to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, where the name of Jesus is not known. The name of Jesus is known in Mandarin, in Jacksonville, in St. Zion's County, is it not? Yes. But that does not mean the gospel is known. There are many folks who probably live near you, by you, or maybe yourself, you've gone, I've grown up, I've known about Jesus, I've believed in Jesus, but I thought it was Jesus plus what I've done. And in the same way that a world that's never heard about Jesus needs to hear about Jesus, a community that has grown up hearing about Jesus but not Jesus only needs to hear the gospel is Jesus only, not my works. We need to hear this. I needed to hear this. This was different than what I understood, and I didn't grow up Catholic. 
But I genuinely, with all my heart, thought there was what Jesus did, and then there is what I needed to do as well. And I'll tell you why I believe that in a moment. But it's only Jesus, not by works. Why can't it be by works? Well, do you remember if you were here two weeks ago how we started Ephesians 2, that we were made alive? We were made alive from you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So it could not be my works. It could only be Jesus because prior to him, I am dead in sin and I am by nature enslaved to sin. So there was nothing that I could do to add what Jesus has done. Nothing. I'm dead. Driving in this morning, I was thinking of just the physical reality. In John chapter 10, a man is dead for four days. His name is Lazarus. Jesus shows up. His sisters are grieving, the sisters of Lazarus, that Jesus wasn't there. And what's Jesus do? He says, Lazarus, come on out. And he did. What part did he have in that? As a dead guy in a tomb. This is not a hard question. What part did he have in that? Zero. It was only, Lazarus was only made alive because Jesus, God wrapped in human flesh, said, Lazarus, Wake up, come on out. And a dead guy came to life and then walked. But you and I think we need to walk so that we can come alive. Good luck with that. Nobody dead walks to come alive. They can only come alive because of what has been done for them. It is only Jesus. It's never by my works. That's the first, only Jesus. Second, for by grace, by grace you have been saved. Uh, Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That is what grace is. Grace is a gift. It's not something I've earned. It's not something I deserve. It's something that I actually do not deserve and I cannot earn, but I am given anyway. The simple rule growing up with our, when our kids growing up is if you ate your dinner, you got dessert. If you didn't eat your dinner, you didn't get dessert. Except every once in a while, once the kids learn the gospel, they're like, grace, dad, grace. <laughs> Meaning what? Can I get some chocolate chip cookies without the broccoli? So this is an Old Testament family. No! <laughs> no, every once in a while, but we clever. No, Grace, grace, you don't deserve it. There's still veggies on the plate, but here. That's, well, it's better than chocolate chip, but that's the gospel. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it, but God gives it. Grace. It's by Jesus, not by works, and it's only by grace, not by my works. It can't be by my works. See, watch this. 
you've probably heard, uh, if you've been around CFC, you've probably heard me quote Galatians 2.20, kind of a life verse for me. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself up for me. Prior to him saying that, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through keeping the law, then Christ died needlessly. Do you understand what he's saying? Go back to our initial chart that seems right, but is biblically inaccurate. If this is true, if by my baptism I can save myself, if by my confession I am helping save myself, if by my good works I'm helping to work my way back to God, if that's really true, friends, then watch. Then Jesus didn't need to die. It's nice that he did and helpful that he did because there's not as much for me to do, but if I could do part of it, then I could do all of it. And Christ died needlessly. And even if it wasn't four things, if it was just baptism, if I just believe that Jesus did 98% of it, and I only did 2% of it, I'd be mostly grateful. But would it be a gift? No. I did not give my wife an engagement ring and said, can you throw 100 in? (laughs) Some of you are going, really, you sure you didn't do that? Because I know you. No, once you say, can you throw 100 in, what's she thinking? Whoa, wrong guy. (laughs) Not this guy. That's not a gift. But that's how, even if we've grown up in a Protestant church, we still tend to think, got to do your part, right? Got to do your part. Now you go, I'm not sure if I think that or not. Here's when I realized I thought that. When I realized I had no assurance of my salvation. I had trusted in Jesus to be my savior, but then I would be freaked out that maybe I'm not going to go to heaven. And I'd be genuinely, I'm not, I'm genuinely scared, scared to die and scared that Jesus was going to come back. You know why I was afraid? Because I knew, I knew the reality of sin still in my life. And I knew there was stuff that I was supposed to do that I wasn't doing. And I didn't think I believed in Jesus plus until I realized that when my plus was not present, I didn't think I was saved anymore. Or I wasn't even sure if I was saved. See, it was the lack of assurance of salvation that exposed that I actually believed in Jesus plus my works. That may be some of you right now. That you have gone, ooh, you're like telling my story. 
It's not unusual. It's, it seems right that you and I would have to do something, that you and I should do something. That if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And so we can say, oh no, I just believe, I believe it's Jesus only. But my lack of assurance revealed that by my sin, I thought, uh-oh. You see, if I, can, if I think I can lose my salvation according to my works or lack of works, that exposes that I believe I gained it by some of my works. And if you can earn it, you can lose it. It's only if I have come to understand. It's only what Jesus has done. Only Jesus, only grace. The wages of sin is death, but this is grace. The free, not 98% gift, not 99% gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. Only Jesus, only grace, and only through faith. Only in Jesus, only by grace, only through faith. When Paul writes the letter to the Galatians, it's a, not a particular church, but a region, they were steeped in this. Not baptism, not confession, not morality, circumcision. Now, since we're not Jews, we're like, yeah, really? Circumcision? I've never wrestled my assurance of salvation because of circumcision. But that was their deal. Because they were like, you can't be the people of God. Jews are the people of God. And what identifies them is they're circumcised. It started with Abraham. And you can't stop. So they heard about Jesus and they were like, yes, we believe in Jesus. Plus be circumcised. And they went to war, like only church people can do. And they had to take it the whole way back to Jerusalem to answer the question, is it Jesus alone or is it Jesus plus circumcision? And they answered the question, it's Jesus alone. Otherwise, it can't be grace alone. And so he writes them a letter and he says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, specifically for them at that moment, circumcision. But how is a man justified? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we, in other words, if you think we're special as apostles, like we had a a special back door in. No, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified, how? By faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since 
by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. See, he, he just can't tell us enough. So I don't know your background. But the more religious you grew up, the more church you grew up in, the more you're going to be prone to think, plus a little bit of works. It's the religious people that just can't buy grace alone. Because if it's grace alone, I have nothing to boast in. It's only through faith. So what does that mean? Well, faith, as we understand a faith, a response to God through Jesus Christ, we understand that faith admits something about me and you. And faith believes something about Jesus. And then faith receives something from God. In other words, if we're going to encounter God through Jesus, by grace, through faith, there's something I have to admit, believe, and receive. What do I have to admit about me? What does faith admit? <laughs> I deserve condemnation. I am guilty, and I'm not swearing now if there's kids in the room, I am guilty as hell. Right? You're as guilty as hell as the worst person you've ever met. I deserve the wrath of God. And I cannot change myself. I cannot help myself. I cannot save myself for one simple reason I'm dead. I have to admit that about me. You, you friends, if you grow up in church, you may go, oh, I've always believed in Jesus. That's not what I'm asking you. Have you admitted what's true about you? In all of your good behavior, in all your good citizenship, in the nicest people that you are, have you admitted that even in your niceness you believe you deserve the condemnation of God because you of all people know what you really think and what really happens in the private secret moments of your life. You can fool everybody else, but you know you are not perfect. And if we're not perfect, we sin, we miss the mark of God's holiness. I cannot come into relationship with God without admitting that about myself. And then faith believes. Believes what about Jesus? Well, when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. See, the point of the 
believing in the historical reality of the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and then the resurrection of Jesus is because those historical events are the foundation for the spiritual reality that when Jesus died on the cross, he did not just die a physical death. There was a spiritual exchange happening when he died. That he, as the perfect son of God, was paying the penalty for all of us who were not perfect. He did not deserve the wrath of God. But in his death, he paid our penalty. And the proof that he really died was that he was buried. And then God raised him from the dead as the authentication that he indeed had been the substitute for our sin. That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we, through faith in him, might give him our sin and he would receive the wrath that we deserve and he would give his righteousness to us that we would receive simply by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So what do we believe about Jesus? We believe he lived a sinless life. Why is that important? (laughs) Because if Jesus sinned, he couldn't take mine. He lived a sin, tempted in every way, the Bible says, but did not sin. His death was a substitutionary death. In other words, he died. He took my punishment in my place. And he was raised from the dead. Verifying, confirming that he had conquered both sin and death. See, Lazarus didn't conquer death. Was he raised from the dead when Jesus called his name? Yes. But guess what? He died again. So I asked a guy this morning, is a resurrection from the dead worth two deaths? Or would you go, ugh. I got to do this again? Jesus' death completely different. He died once for all and was raised never to die again. That's what those who are in Christ are offered. Raised never to die again. So faith believes this about Jesus. And then faith receives but as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The simple reality, this isn't complicated, but when is a gift that's offered to you yours? Yeah, I mean, it was a a moment where I got down on my knee and I offered without charge a ring to Jackie. But there's that moment of going, Yes, yes, right? So the offer has been made to you. Not because you earned it, but because God created you for a relationship with him. 
and your sin has separated and made you deserving his wrath. But friends, he has given his son as your payment so that you might return to him. He offers the gift to you. Only Jesus, by grace, not by your works. There's an act of receiving. And in the act of receiving, saying yes to who you really are and yes to what Jesus has really done, you receive forgiveness. It simply means your payment has been satisfied. Your debt paid in full. That's forgiveness. You had a debt and it's been paid in full. What about the sins you commit tomorrow? Paid in full. Next week, paid in full. See, I, I was never really sure about that. And if I'm not sure about that, then, uh-oh, I was in, now I'm out. Now I'm in, now I'm out. And I can kind of laugh about that now, but I didn't think it was funny then. Paid in full. Past, present, future. Forgiven. And not only forgiven, given new life in Jesus. But you might have not just a, hey, let me pressure wash you off and don't do the things you used to do. Does that mean, see, that, that's the understanding so much of really what, what it means to be a Christian, that, that God washed you off and said, don't get so dirty again. Now, I've been cleansed past, present, and future. And my old life is gone. I have a new life in Christ. I am a partaker now of the divine nature. Am I still human? Yeah. But am I only human? No. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith. Why? That's how I came. I came by faith. I live by faith. And by faith, I not only have new life, I have eternal life. Never to die again. So, the guy said, wow, I never understood the difference between what I'd been taught growing up, Jesus plus my works, and what the Bible says, Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone. I said, excellent. Where would you place yourself? Where would you place yourself? Almost everybody I've asked this question puts themselves somewhere between here and here. Every once in a while, I'll get a guy who will go, hey, I'm over here, way over here, like I'm off the screen over here. But most people tell me I'm right here or right here. Some people like to put themselves right there. What are they telling me? I believe I'm working my way back to God. I don't cuss as much as I used to, Doug. 
I've been coming to church not as much as I should. Trying to read my Bible, it's just a devotional, but I'm, I'm incrementally working my way back to God. The problem, and this is clarifying, because I don't know where you would place yourself. If you say, I think I'm here, I'm just starting, I'm working my way back to God. Nobody gets to be here except the sinless one. Everybody, everybody listening right now is either here or here. Separated from God because of their sin. Or one with God by grace through faith. So he went, that makes sense. So let me ask you, where are you? He went, okay, I'm back here. Anything from keeping you crossing over and admitting and believing and receiving, it was like, oh, there's not a chance I'm crossing over. And I was so shocked. I was like, man, this is like, he was like, no way. Why? Oh, he'd own me and I don't want to be owned. If I would cross over, I would belong to God. True or false? True. See, Jesus is not something we add to our life, like a life insurance policy or a fire insurance policy. Jesus is someone who brings us to God, who now, who has always been our maker, and now he becomes my father, my leader. I don't make him that. He becomes that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I don't make him he is that when I trust in Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and I move from far to God to one with God, he is now both my Savior and he is my Lord. Whether I live under his Lordship next week, but he is Lord. And he said, I don't want to do that. So where are you? I hope this is clarifying for you. And if you're here, what's keeping you? And if you're here, that you actually know, I know how I got there. And it wasn't because of what I've done. You're going to hear some stories now. I believe four this morning. In this hour, we had three phenomenal stories Thursday night. Um, if there was ever a time to come to church for three hours, this would have been that. Not because of this, but because of what you're going to hear. Stories now of those who are going to share how they have placed faith in Jesus alone and then be baptized. Because what I want you to know, uh, see this water? We, well, you probably can't see it. You're going to see it in a moment. This water up here, very, very special water. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just straight from JEA. This water will not save you. We don't baptize because baptism saves you. Why do we baptize? 
Because baptism becomes this visual reminder for every single one of us what happens when a person believes in Jesus. That they are identified with him in death, which is why we put them under the water. And that they're identified with Christ in resurrections, which is why we bring them back up. <laughs> so they were raised to walk in newness of life. It doesn't save. It doesn't save. It's the physical demonstration of what identification with Jesus brings in death, burial, and resurrection. All right. Chris, come on up here.